is a fan-off production. Welcome to yet another episode of Erie International, the final episode of 2023. My name is David. Um, I forgot the brought to you by fanoffmedia.com part. There it is. Uh, my name is David from the United States, joined this week by... Me from Germany. And Dave from the UK, England, Great Britain, uh, <laughs> wherever you would like oh, to bitch. say. You listened last week. I huh? listened to last week's episode. <laughs> and uh, I, look, I have to say, actually, um, Andy pretty much got it like spot on, right? So... Um, cool. United Kingdom is incorporating all of the nations that are part of um, the, the the kingdom. So Northern Ireland, England, Scotland, Wales, Great Britain. Um, oftentimes in sports, you will see it referred to as Great Britain and Northern Ireland. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So Great Britain basically is the mainland uh, British Isle. So it would be England, Scotland, Wales. And then England is basically like a state, so like it's California within the United States, or in our case, like Great Britain or the United Kingdom. But honestly, we use it so interchangeably over here that you can say any or, and they would all be accurate to me, because I am in England, I am also in the UK, I am also in Great Britain. So, <laughs> you know, we honestly, we, we don't really mind or care that much. It doesn't seem, at least in the US that I've noticed, uh, so like British, people say British a lot yeah. over here, right? For for English people. I, yeah. I'm assuming that's what you would say if you were trying to be accurate, right? It is, yes. Yeah, there, there is yeah. no um, word for being of the United Kingdom other than really like British or if you want to dial down, you can say English or Scottish or whatever. So but, yeah. do people over there refer to uh, Irish and Scottish people as British too? Um, because that would be the one thing here that would sound weird. Because we, I think, yeah. Irish aren't Irish aren't British. No, so um, or, sh- shit. Yeah, I messed that up. Sorry. Yeah, I mean, you, you mean uh, you meant Northern Irish? You, yeah. yeah. I, um. So the interesting thing is that outside, <laughs> I'm just Can thinking we get into about an international incident. On the no, last no, no. <laughs> I'm just thinking about this now, and actually, you're more likely to refer to yourself as British if you're English. And if you're Scottish, Welsh, yeah. from Northern Ireland, you would probably call yourself Irish or... Uh, actually, Northern Ireland is a weird one, so I won't lock them in there, but I know that the Scottish and the Welsh definitely have a lot of national pride and would prefer to refer to themselves as their individual nations. Um, Northern Ireland is a weird one because uh, there's a lot of mixed sentiment, half and half kind of i don't know the exact numbers so don't at me uh but like you've got some people within northern ireland who want to be part of of britain and in that case they would refer to themselves as british and then you've got a lot of people uh, within northern ireland as well that would like to uh, become part of uh, the republic of ireland and then in that case they would probably refer to themselves as being irish um so yeah it it can be politicized it can be utilized in a way to show your um affiliations in certain areas 
In England, we just tend to call ourselves British. I think mainly let's, because we're kind of like the hand that holds the whip. So <laughs> let's make it even more complicated. Let's bring Brexit into this. I'm just why kidding. not? I don't need tangent joke. <laughs> I know. Okay, cool. That's that's good to know. So yeah, last week, this week, got some some education in there for you ignorant Americans out there, myself included. Nah. Um, okay, so my my uh, my. Not assumption. What's the word? I've been awake for about fifteen minutes. Um, <laughs> Assertion. Yeah, sure. I guess that assertion. I, that yeah. Assertion. Yeah, sure. That um, it would be like me calling someone North American as opposed to um, would be the British equivalent of just going continent wide rather than country specific. I guess so. Yeah. Yeah. Although Great Britain's not a continent, I don't think it's not right. I'm well, 35. it's its own island. Almost. So, yeah, it's kind of a mini continent within a greater continent of Europe. It's so where Brexit oh, comes boy. in. They That's where Brexit comes continent in now yeah. because they left yeah. the European Union. There's a whole new <laughs> continent called Britain. <laughs> so, I wonder what happens for, and this is a genuine question because um, my friend Austin and I always would make fun of slash joke slash also think it's cool. So it's it's a it's a mixed reaction here hmm. to the comic book character Captain Britain. Whose whose powers only work? I'm assuming now. Now I always thought it was England, but now I'm assuming it's Britain. So would his powers mm-hmm. work in Scotland? Yeah, they yeah. do. Okay, I yeah. didn't know that in the comics. He's, well, got a, would... he's got a huge fucking Union Jack on his chest. I'm pretty sure. So I always yeah. assumed he was. It would was be interesting English. to see what would happen to his powers if Scotland eventually become independent. <laughs> he's flying over and just yeah, jumps. like <laughs> he, he hits the border and he's like, oh shit, I forgot, and he just falls to his death. <laughs> Buried the other side of Hadrian's Wall. <laughs> I haven't checked in on that. I've, I've never read anything from that character. I just know. Um, no, I'm aware of him. That was a funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I know he's the brother of Psylocke. I think that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Braddock. Um, Betsy Braddock. Yeah, and that's basically everything that I know about the character. <laughs> yeah, me too. All right. Well, welcome to uh, Hideous Energy, a comic book about pot or <laughs> comic book about podcasts, a podcast <laughs> about comic book. <laughs> well, I couldn't even make my own dumb joke right. Welcome to Erie International. If this is your first time listening, you know, I'm sorry. Uh, that was probably confusing. And uh, yeah, this is our last episode of the year. We're going to go out in a merry, happy Christmas style uh, with a few, um, well, depends on how many we talk about, but various adaptation slash original text by one Matthew Richard James. I don't know if that's his uh, name. M.R. James, who wrote lots of uh, cool ghost stories. We're going to be talking about the ash tree this week. Uh, before that, quick housekeeping stuff, really, really fast. Social media, we're on everything, pretty much, I guess. Uh, at Erie International, at Erie I- on, uh, Twitter's at Erie INT. Uh, and then uh, email us, erieinternational.gmail.com. That's basically it. Um, let's talk about what, Andy, am I forgetting anything? This is usually where you No, I'm just, I'm just, because you said Matthew Richard, I'm wondering that you, if you picked those names because those are names from the story. <laughs> Oh, so shit, Richard I didn't and, even think about so that. So, Matthew, <laughs> but the guy's actual name is Montague Rhodes, James. Close. Yeah, I was close. <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, no, I did not mean to do that. I guess it crawled into my subconscious. Um, all right, let's uh, talk about what we got into this week. I can make it very easy for us to start off because I got into nothing uh, this week other than it's our... the same thing. There we go. Dave. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. I watched a lot. You don't of have stuff. to fill the time if you don't like No, no. It's I, okay if you got nothing. I I watched a lot of stuff. Um an okay, awful lot cool. of stuff. Um so I'll start off with talking about because I will forget about it if I don't mention it straight off the bat. Um 
I said a few weeks ago that the postmortem podcast had come to an end. Uh, I was a little bit early in burying it because it turns out that I wasn't listening correctly and it is coming to an end, but not quite yet. So I've been listening to a couple more um, AMAs uh, that they've done in the meantime. And they've got uh, one last show that may have already happened or is just about to happen. Um, at one of the uh, the, the big theatres uh, in uh, Los Angeles, I think. So, uh, not sure who the special guest will be, but I mean, if I was going to guest, I'd say Stephen King or potentially Steven Spielberg. I guess Spielberg would make sense because he's kind of inextricably tied to a lot of mixed stories because of like the the early days of like. Um, I forget the name of that TV show that Spielberg uh, was. It Amazing, Amazing Tales, stories. Amazing Stories. I nearly got there, so close. <laughs> um, so I listened to a couple of those. Um, it was standard AMA fare, nothing really to get into the weeds about. Uh, but off the back of that, uh, I was on Amazon Prime the other day and just idly kind of scrolling through things to watch, and I found a list of things that were leaving soon. And one of those was season two of Masters of Horror. Uh, which, for oh, those wow. who aren't aware, is a, uh, a TV show that was created by and executive produced by Mick Garris in the early 2000s, and it collects together the, all of the directors that are considered the masters of horror. Whenever he talks about the masters of horror dinners, these are the directors he's talking about. Um, and so I watched the first three episodes from season two. Um, episode one uh, is called The Damned Thing, uh, directed by Toby Hooper. Um, fun enough kind of environmental ghost story uh, about oil drilling and public hysteria and people losing their goddamn minds. It opens with a very, very violent and visceral scene of a uh, of, of a killing um, and uh, ends much in the same way, but with some terrible CG. Uh, an, an okay episode, but not as good as what follows it. Um, episode two is where it's at. Uh, now, it's it's problematic because it's directed... It, for certain people, it's problematic because it's directed by John Landis. Um, and uh, it's called Family, and it's a wonderful, wonderful episode. Um, it's uh, about a serial killer who lives in the middle of uh, a perfect suburban... Uh, scene uh he basically and i i'm not really spoiling anything by telling uh people this because uh literally within the first five minutes it's exposed to the world that he's a serial killer there are other depths that i am not going to explain fully but uh, very early on it uh it becomes clear that he kills his victims and then uh, puts them in a bath of acid and like the opening scene is him pouring a uh, big jug of acid over a dead man's head and watching it slowly melt away. Um, very, very nicely done. Um, <laughs> I forget the actor's name, but uh, it's the guy that played Norm in Cheers. Um, he's playing the serial killer. And uh, there's a, a new couple that move into the neighborhood and get tangled up with him due to a drink driving accident. That is all I am going to say about the episode because if people can search it out and watch it without too much information genuinely i think it's my favorite it's my favorite so far obviously i've only watched three of them but i i have a feeling that it's probably going to end up being my favorite overall um 
Yeah, I mean, I I did my usual thing uh, as I mentioned in my call in last week, where I uh, I kind of second guess what's going on before it happened before it's revealed. That had that happened again, but it didn't harm my enjoyment of the story. I thought it was really well done and very nice, atmospheric, uh, a little bit creepy in some places for the wrong reasons. Again, we're getting into the world of noncery, uh, but uh, thankfully it doesn't actually go there. It just kind of pushes. It suggests the the idea of it. Uh, And then the third episode, uh, which was directed by Ernest Dickerson and written by Mick Garris, a short story by Mick Garris. It's called The V Word. As you will have probably uh, come to expect, it is about vampires. Uh, It's got uh, Michael Ironside in uh, one of the key roles uh, of the uh, the episode. And uh, I I like this episode just because... um, there's a couple of lines in there. One of them is super obvious. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Um, and the other one is uh, a line pulled directly from the original. Um, I say the original. It's not, because we all know Nosferatu is the original uh, Dracula. Uh, but the, the original 1930s Bela Lugosi Dracula, uh, where he says, I don't drink wine. Um, and they deliver these lines with just such wonderful tongue-in-cheek that it's it's just charming, it really is. Uh, it's a pretty um, by-the-numbers story. Uh, if you've seen The Lost Boys, then it's very similar kind of feel to it. But again, I, I think they do a really good job of um, setting an atmosphere and uh, getting the scares in there. Uh, the... Um, Special effects, the makeup work uh, are done by uh, Derek uh, Nicotero and his partner in crime, whose name escapes me at the moment, and I am very sorry about that. Um, but uh, they're, they're excellent as well. Uh, you can tell this show is made on a on a budget; like it's it's not been given like millions of dollars to plow into itself, but it doesn't need it because they they're very good directors they've got actors that they know that they can trust in the roles and they've they're basing all of this off of stories that are written by people that know how to write decent stories uh i would definitely recommend masters of horror if you're listening in the uk uh season two is available on amazon prime i don't know how much longer it will be here for but i would watch it sooner rather than later if you can season one i have no idea uh where that is available you can probably buy it um, or rent it on uh, actually, I actually just looked it up oh um, thank you because uh yeah when you said streaming i was like man has it ever been streaming here because i i have some of it on blu-ray that i've bought as i've encountered it because they released it as um discs with like two episodes each i think oh damn um <laughs> and uh yeah so i have some random ones and then uh, but i just looked it up and apparently at least uh here i don't know if um, how much this applies over there, but it's on like 2B, V. It's on like a few of those like okay. free with ads type mm. of uh, things, um, which honestly f- probably feels like where it'll be <laughs> uh, forever until someone buys it because it's like, yeah. I don't know if you guys have, um, like here you can go, there's different streaming ser- services connected to libraries. It's always in there. Like it, there's, you'll see a lot of stuff where it's educational wise, like the, those outlets, they always have access to it. Gotcha. Um, yeah, it's a weird. That was like early two thousands, right? Yeah. So, yeah. Um, I would imagine it's, it's just like the what was the Mill Creek DVDs back then. Anyway, big tangent. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that they're putting two episodes per disc on there. Like it's the bloody American anime yeah, boom of the late nineties, early two thousands with three episodes on it. <laughs> oh, 
and then charging you like $30 for the privilege, you motherfuckers. Oh, man. I remember the first time I rented the X-Files in Brazil. Not real. I, w- I was just, I didn't know how many seasons there were. Mm-hmm. I, like, back then, you didn't know anything. There was the internet, but I mean, it was early, so. And getting home and, and watching it and midway through hitting the credits and being like, what the fuck? This was like 40 minutes long. <laughs> and then seeing the second episode and being like, oh, well, good news, bad news for me. I have to rent 30 more VHS tapes to watch this, yeah. but I was into it. Yeah, I I used to buy Buffy on VHS, and that that was a whole thing. Oh dear, uh, it's every episode. <laughs> yeah, but I bought them all because I was an absolute <laughs> Buffy head. Anyway, there we go. So um, that's Masters of Horror. Uh, I definitely uh, a recommend from me. Um, over the course of the last two weeks, um, not through choice or through any kind of planning, but I have accidentally watched the entire Jurassic Park trilogy. Um, uh, mum tends to put them on TV downstairs and I'm around when they're on so I end up watching most if not all of them Um, the first one's still like head and shoulders above pretty much anything that has come since um, Jurassic Mm. Park wise like the mix of CG and practical effects um, the casting uh, you know Dickie Attenborough um, in, in the role as the park owner um the skeezy solicitor type um who i i never really picked up on this until watching it last this last time but like he's a proper like money grubbing like you know piece of shit really does oh, yeah. deserve to, what, what he ends up. children to die <laughs> exactly yeah like it's that point where you're like okay you've just stepped over the edge from not particularly bothered about you to oh i hope you fucking die um <laughs> and he does spectacularly as we all know um it's also one of uh, hmm. sorry i was just gonna say jurassic park's one of the um uh, andy and i talked about home alone a little bit last week mm-hmm. one of the handful of like massive pop culture blockbuster zeitgeist kind of movies that i still think are basically perfect like jurassic Absolutely. park's one of those where it's like everybody knows jurassic park everybody knows the the you know water vibrating with the footsteps and yep. the velocity like there's all these things but it's an amazing movie <laughs> like it's legitimately <laughs> so good it and, is uh, great it's it gets just... overshadowed i think by the the cultural effect more than anything but it's yeah it's an mm. amazing movie and it's straight up horror as well like the scene with um again i'm terrible with actress names as, as, and actor names and, and character names uh, so forgive me but um um she she uh the uh the the, the female lead um heads down oh, laura dern that's yeah laura dern. how do i forget laura dern's name for christ's sake it's not like Dr. she's not sattler i think is her character name yeah um so she um she decides that she's going to uh go and and get the power uh, turned back on so they they go after samuel l jackson's character to try and find where he's gone because he originally went to turn it back on hasn't come back and there's that whole scene where she turns the power back on and uh, little Jimmy or whatever his name is gets electrocuted and thrown off the fence. To comedic <laughs> effect, I have to say. like It's still, yeah. a, as as much tension and drama as that's meant to build up, I still laugh my ass off when I see how he flies off the fence. <laughs> <laughs> and he completes the countdown after they revive him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's Again, a- like they know that it's funny, so they might as well lean into it. Um but yeah, so and then uh, the the Velociraptor kind of comes out from uh, among all the cabling, and and she kind of backs off and closes the gate, and then um, Jackson's char- uh, character's arm just falls on her shoulder, and she's like, "Oh, thank God you're here!" And she turns around, and it's just a disim- dismembered arm. arm. <laughs> and it's just 
I can see the shot perfectly. Dude. Yeah, it's so good. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So yeah, watched all of those um, diminishing returns with that franchise. I do think that Jurassic World has revitalized it to a point, but I don't think that. And and this isn't a slam on Jurassic World because I've really enjoyed uh, those movies. The ones that I've seen, I've seen the first two. I've not seen the uh, the, the third yet. Um, but I, I think that you're on hiding to nothing if you're trying to beat the original Jurassic Park just because of, you know, I, I, I'm the right age and I, I think you're, you're the right age as, uh, as well, David. And I, I think, Andy, you, you were probably around the age where you, you were watching and appreciating this as well, perhaps. There, there's a big window of, of, of ages where you can appreciate this movie when it came out in cinemas. Um, it just well, hit. I, I think I've talked about it on the, the show before multiple times. Like this was one of the first movies to give me nightmares. Yeah, and it was such a, it was such a fucked up thing when I was a kid because I loved the movie. Mm. <laughs> so it was like this thing. I loved dinosaurs. I mean, I remember when the Lost World came out. I was begging my parents to take me to go see it. I mean, I would have been like four or five. I was probably too young. Mm. And uh, but yeah, but it, it it scared the shit out of me. But I also loved it at the same time. And I I think that now that I think about it more than anything else, that was probably the first brush with like um enjoying horror in that way because yeah we do tend to want that balance eventually i mean there's some people that just want to watch the darkest most brutal stuff over and over and that's that you know that is how they get into horror and that's totally fine i'm not discounting that but Mm. at least for me the um that's always been the thing is like how can i have fun how can i be scared um although that part you know less and less but yeah i can remember Mm. nightmares as a kid like to this day, I can remember how the nightmares would end because it'd be the same nightmares <laughs> where I'd either get killed by a T Rex or Velociraptors. Oh, no. um, Jesus! But I kept watching it every day on VHS. <laughs> Good lad. I mean, that's how I originally um, encountered it. I, I think I've mentioned this before, but we went to watch Super Mario Brothers, uh, the original Super Mario movie. Two um, weeks in a row, that movie's come up. <laughs> yeah, and um, I so we we go into the cinema, we sit down, and it's like it's. On screen, it's raining and it's thunderstorms, and there's this big metal crate being moved into place. And I, I, I kind of look up to my dad and I'm like, "Is this the right film?" And it turns out we've walked into a screening of Jurassic Park <laughs> because they both came out within like a week of each other back in 1991 or whenever it was that it, it came out. Um, it was later than that. It was 94, maybe. Yoshi, and it's just a dude. Shoot! Ah! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so so we, we ended up leaving that screening and finding the correct one. And then that <laughs> Christmas, I got Jurassic Park on VHS uh, for, for a Christmas present and just watched it incessantly. And it's just... I, I don't think that there is any coincidence that children became absolutely obsessed with dinosaurs around about the time that jurassic park came out there was always that like you know kids like one of uh, of a number of things it's either planes oh, yeah. or cars or dinosaurs or robots or space or you know but it was like one of a few things and then during that period dinosaurs just became the dominant species for a short it. period once again yeah um, well, 65 like, million it- years ago and about 20 years ago <laughs> At least in the uh, the U.S., like a big thing, if you're into dinosaurs as a kid, most of the time you want to be a paleontologist when you grow up. Like you know that that's the, hmm. uh, or you know, or archaeology, whatever specifically that you're into. And having, um, uh, now I'm forgetting names, um, Hunt for the Wilder People, weirdest movie I can pull for this guy. <laughs> What's his name? Taika Waititi. Oh, yeah, Sam Neill. Sam Neill, thank you. Uh, having him be that like a, just a, a an educated dude who is looking for dinosaur bones be your hero in the movie 
uh, that made it seem even cooler, even though that's, you know, obviously not what that job is like. Mm. Um, not normally. In reality. <laughs> but the di- the real dinosaur part, I mean. The dead dinosaur part, sure. But Yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, we watched all of those. And then, uh, funnily enough, over the last couple of weeks, uh, another uh, film series that I watched a couple of is Home Alone. Uh- <laughs> nice. Unbelievably. Um, Home Alone and Home Alone 2 lost in New York. I think they were made like a year apart from each other because he's still impossibly young in the second one. Um, Not that much in the way of horror in those movies, although there is like little notes like when he goes into the basement uh, in the first one and Mm -hmm. uh, he has this like uh, fever dream almost of the boiler wanting to eat him and and coming alive. It's almost like uh, he's he's in a parallel existence to Nightmare on Elm Street. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then in the second one, just the, um, the the sheer amount of it's 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 slapstick humor, but clearly, like if you were to be hit from three stories up by a, by one brick, you would be dead. And he's oh. hit by like several. And the it's... second movie is when they take it to the homicidal levels. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but fun movies. But I won't go into them too much. Um, I also finally got round to I've owned this movie on VHS for years. Um, to the point that I ended up getting rid of the VHS and I think I have the DVD but I'm not sure but I saw that this was available on BBC iPlayer and I thought to myself yeah I'm going to watch this because I never have so I watched the um, the original movie version and I say the original movie version like it wasn't based on a French film uh, 12 Monkeys oh yeah uh, and it occurred to me that actually I've seen bits of this film all over the place before because I recognised like the dream of him in the airport when he was a kid and seeing somebody gunned down in front of him. And I was like, oh, wait, no, I have seen some of this. Uh, but still a really good movie. And um, it's, it's one of those fun kind of... I mean, it's Terry Gilliam who directed it. And you can absolutely tell when you revisit the future and everyone's wearing like clear PVC and they've got weird hair. And it feels just like, um, again, talking about kind of parallel offshoot dimensions, it feels like I'm watching Brazil, but like in a slightly different area of the uh, of of the uh, the movie. Um, but good performances. Uh, I don't know how they got Brad Pitt to look boss-eyed like he did. Uh, whether it was a contact lens or they maybe it was the early stages where they could like CG that stuff, but. Um, his performance was suitably unhinged and I enjoyed that very much. Completely forgot. Go on. No, I was just going to say, I've never talked to, to my memory, I've never talked to Andy about this movie before, but I'm going to make a prediction that he saw it in the theater when it came out. That is absolutely correct. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Just seems like an Andy movie, right era. (laughs) Yeah. Like, yeah. Um, Sure. Terry Gilliam. Yeah, Python fans. We were Terry Gilliam fans uh, back in the nineties. Those were absolutely the types of movies that we watched being the prince. There we go. So Jurassic Park. I saw Terminator Two in the cinema. I was a teenager at the time. <laughs> I would have loved to have watched Terminator Two in the cinema. I couldn't even watch Batman Returns in the cinema because I was too young. I was so annoyed by that because the first one was on TV all over the place, and I was like, I can watch this. Why can't I watch this? And it was like, because we have age ratings now, bitch. <laughs> 1989 yeah, that's, that's was a the, big year. The age difference between us. I'm six years older than Dave and 12 years older than David, so I did see Batman and Batman Returns and all of them at the cinemas as well. And I was born the year that the first Batman movie came out. <laughs> oh, you motherfucker. That's weird, right? <laughs> yep. I don't feel old at all. I, uh, <laughs> Andy, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, 
So yeah, Twelve Monkeys, great film. No one needs telling that it's a great film. Um, it's had a TV La, series. La Jete, is that the French? I think so. Yeah, yeah, it's credited in the opening titles, and I meant to look it up to see if it was available to watch because I was interested to see how they hang together. Um, you can see it on theory. YouTube. I've never actually yeah. watched it. Um, it's an essay movie from the sixties, like only twenty-eight minutes. Uh, it's it's told through still images. It's they're very experimental, very avant-garde. Okay. Mm, it might it's be worth watching for sure. I I watched yeah. it in uh, in in college in a film school class, and we did both. But and then that was fun to do. But yeah, it could not be more different <laughs> in oh, terms of uh, definitely worth execution watching or whatever. But mm. yeah, I mean, I think for that reason is why it's because how they adapted it from that is, is so interesting. Awesome. Criterion's um, got a got a Blu-ray with it, and I don't know how you pronounce the other one, Sans Soleil or something. Um, another one by the filmmaker on a two two on one disc. I mean, at that kind of runtime, you'd, you'd expect perhaps that they put more into it than just the one. Yeah, there's more on the disc. Yeah. <laughs> Fair dues. But yeah, so definitely worth watching that one. Um, Doctor Who came back in the last few weeks, and I completely blanked on the fact that it was back because I've not been watching very much, if any, live TV. And the only time that apparently you're told that Doctor Who is returning is when you're watching uh, BBC programs and they do a little advert to say look what's coming um so i i just randomly came across it while i was searching through iplayer um and uh yeah so i ended up watching that uh after i watched 12 monkeys <laughs> and it's a, a really good trio of episodes it's the 60th anniversary of doctor who so they um did something a little bit special russell t davis is back in the uh in in control of the the series as the showrunner uh, having left after um the 11th doctor um went away and uh the first thing he did when he came back in was to bring back the 11th doctor as the 14th <laughs> doctor um and so the three episodes basically um loosely hinge around why he's got this old face back why he brought was brought back as this face um and it tackles a few new um bad guys as well as a old face, and I'm, I didn't mean to say that to be clever, but there's a, a character from years and years and years and years ago called Toymaker, um, who was originally played by the same actor that played Alfred in the Tim Burton Batman movies. Miles um, Goff? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He played the Toymaker. Uh, and it's really weird seeing him young. Like, it's just like, oh my god! I that that no, that man was never young. He he was born that age, surely. <laughs> but yeah, he was. I'm, I'm sure he had a long and storied. Uh, I'm assuming he's dead now because he was a million. Unfortunately, years old when I was a kid. yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure he had a long, storied, respectable career. Um, uh, in 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 the in, in England, I'll say it accurately. Um, I know him. I know his name because he was Alfred <laughs> in the Batman movies. That was one of the first Alfreds for me growing up. Was, yeah, I, I was think his... everyone does, and and that's no reflection on the rest of his career. It's just when sure, you yeah. you know, like Batman is is one of those cornerstone pop culture movies, right? It's it's up yeah. there with Jurassic Park for you know, like the the scene where he spreads his wings out, or when um, uh, the Joker. Uh, tells us to smell his flower and then he sprays the acid and you know like there's a lot of scenes in that film that uh that are just very memorable as well so oh, yeah. there's no shame on anyone's career to be remembered for that i mean think about the number of things that uh, michael keaton has done in his career he's done a lot more than people realize but batman oh, yeah. is always the thing that they come back to 
So it's a shame because uh, he's made a lot of very, very good movies. Uh, so yeah, Doctor Who, very good. If you're a Doctor Who fan, it's it's more of the same. Um, it's lovely to see uh, some old faces back in um, back in in the the habit of things. And uh, they did something very interesting in the third episode, which tees up the uh, the, the next Doctor. Um, I saw a lot of uh, <clears throat> a lot of ardent Whovians. Mm. Um, not happy about my. I say a lot. I saw I saw some reactions online that were not positive. I thought what they did was very cool. Um, I did. But, yeah, I'm I'm not obviously a hardcore uh doctor who fan but i've always found it interesting and weirdly i've always watched the regeneration scenes when they've happened hmm. <laughs> for new ones even yeah. though i don't watch the show and i think i've only watched the first two series which i I liked a lot i've just never watched the rest hmm. um and so i i watched uh yeah i watched some of the stuff this week too weirdly but it was on like youtube and stuff like the i watched the spice uh spice girl scene uh with the toy maker <laughs> yep. i watched uh the final <laughs> scene that's got people up in arms and then i also watched the interview with um uh, dude from the leftovers, tenth doctor, uh, Eccleston, mm. where he was like, "Yeah, I'll come back if the you ninth, sack Russell actually. T. Davies." Tenth oh, is the tenth. Eccleston is the ninth. Ninth, my bad. Um, and he's at a con or something, and he's like, "Yeah, I'll come back if you sack Russell T. Davies, Davies, Davis, whatever it is." He'd like list all these <laughs> names off. He's like, "Fire those people! I'll come back." I saw the same <laughs> this interview. <laughs> yeah, I saw the yeah. same interview. I think it, was it the one where he was sitting alongside Billy Piper. Yeah, 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 yeah at a con somewhere, and he had like yeah. this massive beard and and wild yep. hair, and I was just like, okay. <laughs> he is, uh, and Andy will bat me up on this. I think. Um, like obviously known for that, but one of my favorite roles that he did was on The Leftovers. I thought he was fantastic on The Leftovers and plays this American man of faith who feels like his faith is constantly tested throughout it. And he's he's a great um, sort of like main character for like the the religious threads in the show to kind of mm-hmm. carry through. And it, it I get why he's not usually talked about as much with that show because. He's not, you know, one of the leads, and it's it's a it's a bigger show than just the performances in terms of why people talk about it. Mm. Um, but that's what I always think of now when I see him is is how much I loved him on The Leftovers. He's he's a great actor, and it would have been is. interesting to see how it would have gone had he not um, only done the one series. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a shame. Um, like he does go into detail in another um, interview that I watched from DragonCon, where um, he basically said, "Look, uh, everyone." was new it was the first season uh, season of a show that had been brought back from nothing and everyone was learning but there was uh, a certain level of uh, unprofessionality and and trust broken that uh, it's very difficult to come back from yeah. and uh, i think part of it actually is when he decided to leave which was already the uh, decision that was made because of uh, the fractured relationship that he had with russell t davis bearing in mind he'd worked with davis on other projects before that um, and he still has a lot of good things to say about Davis in terms of his actual ability as a writer and a showrunner, um, but he he just doesn't have anything nice to say about him where it comes to his time on Doctor Who and, and why should he if, if that's how he feels. Right. Um, and yeah, he basically just said, look, when I when I left, they said, well, um, look, we we understand uh, you're leaving, um, but if you could still fulfil all of your um, you know, talk, talking about the series and getting people interested in watching it, that would be lovely. And he did. Um, but then, unbeknownst to him, they released a, a press release basically announcing he was leaving. And on top of that, uh, from what he says, 
there was a quote that went around that was released by the BBC where he claimed that he was just get, that filming the, the show had exhausted him. It left him feeling very tired. And he was like, I, I did not say that. And by releasing this quote and claiming this is what I've said, you're going to really badly affect my career because there's going to be people that will be looking at possibly hiring me and saying, oh, we probably shouldn't hire Eccleston because apparently <laughs> he gets tired a lot. Um, and they ended up retract. I remember when when that was released actually, because there, there was a big joke made about oh he's a Star Trek fan, not a Who fan, and there was sketch shows that were taking the piss out of it and all that kind of stuff. And it it really did kind of have a a, a bit of a adverse effect on him because they they retracted it. They said oh no sorry we uh, we shouldn't have said that that wasn't his words. But the damage was done by that point. Yeah. You know, it's uh, official like, retraction means very little. Exactly, because uh, the the quote makes page one news, and the retraction gets buried on page eight. You know, in a little thing at the bottom or whatever. I, so. I obviously don't know him. <clears throat> um, I don't know him personally. I don't know what kind of pe- person he is, or any mm. of these people, obviously. But there is something to be said. I've always kind of respected the artistic integrity he's had with this because he has not budged, mm. um, and it, it's been years. They've tried to get him back multiple times. Yeah. Um, and that is a hard thing to do, like legitimately difficult it, it, when you're working in creative fields and, and like relationships, connections. It's it's so much of what you're doing, unfortunately. Mm. And the amount of people that will put up with a ton of shit because they don't want to rock the boat is is high. I mean, I'm in that that category, even with my job, like I don't work in Hollywood or anything, obviously, but like creatively yeah there's there's stuff where it's like okay i'll just i'll handle this because i need the work i need this connection whatever else but that only in more recent years have i hit a point where i'm like you know what sometimes i'm just gonna pass or i'm gonna say no or whatever else and that's okay Hmm. uh and it's it's so frowned upon you know kind of or or that you know like no you don't turn down work you gotta you gotta get out there and do all the stuff and um it's much harder to have the integrity to, or to just to be like, I don't want to do this anymore and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And everyone shit on him for it and continues to in some cases, but, um, well, yeah. And, and that's completely unjustified. I mean, especially when, you know, you, you consider the fact that if, if he wasn't so, so fond of his time as the doctor in terms of actually being the doctor, not necessarily the filming of the show and whatnot, but actually right. like being able to say I was a doctor. Um, He's working with Big Finish doing audio dramas like the because uh, there's like a, a, a parallel um, run of audio dramas made by Big Finish Productions, which are um, just almost out of sequence Doctor stories utilizing the vocal talents of previous Doctor actors as well as Joanna Lumley at one point was uh, was technically the first female Doctor um, a, a while ago, and he's he's already done one uh story with them and he's he's recording another one i think he may have already recorded it actually um so you know it's not that he doesn't enjoy doing doctor who because he does it's just he doesn't enjoy doing doctor who with russell t davis and uh all of his friends uh in charge of it and Big Finish is a separate thing, so he's able to do right. what he enjoys without having to put up with with RTD, etc. I just wish that maybe someone could just act as a bridge, get them together, and just have them actually hash it out. And maybe some apologies can be made, and you know we we could see something happen down the line. But this isn't a sci-fi show; this is a horror show. So I'm going to move on to the last thing on my list. 
and that is, and I can't remember what year this was made, but I think it was the 70s, um, The Horror Express. I'd never heard of this movie, despite the fact that it stars both Peter Cushing and uh, Christopher Lee. Um, I think I have this movie. Okay, nice. I do. <laughs> so it's an Italian... I've never seen it, but I have it on Blu-ray. <laughs> it's an Italian horror movie with an uh, with a, a mixed cast as is the the the, um, the way with these things i i think it's made kind of like in the tradition of spaghetti westerns uh right so it's like you know it, it, we made it in spain but it's set in like china um <laughs> and uh christopher lee basically is a um paleontologist who has discovered a fossil in the frozen wastes of some place in in China and uh, they get it on a train and they're taking it back so that he can put it on display or whatever um meanwhile one of his uh colleagues played by Cushing is very interested to know what is actually in the box and so he pays a, a train conductor to take a little sneaky peek uh an evil is unleashed upon the uh inhabitants or the uh, the passengers I should say of the train and uh, it takes uh, the rest of the film for them to figure out what's going on, track it down, and vanquish it. It's This is very adjacent to The Thing in ways that I won't go into too much, but I very much enjoyed it. It's it's not a great movie, but it's a fun movie. You know, It's one of those ones that you can just enjoy it for what it is. It's kind of campy nonsense. Um it has that hammer feeling thanks to Cushing and Lee being involved with it. Uh, but it also has Telly Savalas in a supporting role where he just chews all of the scenery as a Cossack. Um, he's he's absolutely wonderful. He's not in it for very long, but Jesus Christ, he's, he's just every scene he's in, he steals. Um, I would recommend everyone watch it. If you have it in your collection, David, then definitely get around to watching it sometime soon because I need someone to just talk about this movie with. <laughs> it's just absolutely mental. Um, it's got, I have, a, I have go a good on. amount of horror movies that I, I don't remember where I got them or why. I, and mm. it's usually like uh, stuff like I, I was at a horror convention and the cover looked cool and ah, they were doing yeah. like, you know, five for whatever. Or it was um severin was having a sale of stuff like that so mm. there's a handful of these movies where i'm like oh yeah i have that and i don't remember why but yeah also at the same time i look at it and i'm like yeah this seems like something i would i would watch <laughs> so. i think you'll enjoy it um th- there are sections where i was watching it and i just rolled my eyes because i was just like this is just the most 19th century pseudoscience bullshit i've ever seen on screen <laughs> you know like the idea that images can not only be captured in the back of an eye but in blood I'm just like what, um, but I, I I forgive it for it because it's it's a it's a fun little movie. It's not brilliant, you know. It's one of those kind of it's a six out of ten, but I'll put a star next to it as well because I enjoyed it. Sure. Um, you know, it's fine. Um, and and there there uh, ends the um, the the uh, the story and my uh, ongoing rambling. So should we move on to something where I I don't ramble? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, let's do it. Let's get into our uh, our stuff for this week. Um, so, one of you one of you should explain this, not me, um, since I'm American. I think Andy um, and, would do the best job of explaining it. Well, what I was going to say specifically is the the tradition. I don't know how much there is behind it, other than just there's a tradition um, in uh, the in England or the UK. So I'm be it's more a BBC from now on tradition. BBC thing. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for ghost stories at Christmas, um, 
And, well, I don't even know. I, I just mean the tradition of reading a ghost story Christmas or Christmas Eve or whatever um, is, a, is a thing that is not uh, in America that I've ever heard of, but I've always thought it was very cool. Mentioned that last week. And uh, maybe the sort of reigning king um, of ghost stories is M.R. James, uh, Montague Rhodes James, as Andy corrected me earlier. Um, I just made up a name, so. And, uh, yeah, it's I had never read any M.R. James stuff before. Uh, obviously knew who he was, always saw his name um, thrown around and, and mentioned and highly you know, respected and, and listed out by people whose work I really admire, like uh, Guillermo del Toro, Mignola, whoever, who's um, – he had been a big influence on them. So I knew it was one of those um, writers that I would need to get to but had not experienced any of his stuff until this week. Um, Andy, was there a sort of – I think the inception of this was the wholeness um, thing, right? Yes. So as I mentioned probably in the last episode, a few weeks ago, I listened to an older episode of the King cast, one of the very early episodes on which Mickey Holness was a guest. And at the end of that episode, he mentioned that he, at that point, just recently had done this audio drama adaptation of The Ash Tree by M.R. James. And it's been not quite 10 years ago when I first encountered the ghost stories for Christmas. Um, I don't know exactly how, just doing Christmas horror research, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I found this DVD box set, the expanded six-disc uh, six collection, um, which includes, I'm assuming, all of the... 70s, um, the the original uh, BBC adaptations, and and some of the newer ones. <clears throat> and we can we can refer to Wikipedia. So, a ghost story for Christmas is a strand of annual British short television films originally broadcast on BBC One between 1971 and 1978, and revived sporadically by the BBC since 2005. One exception, the original installments were directed by Lawrence Gordon Clark, and the films were all shot on 16mm color film. The remit behind the series was to provide a television adaptation of a classic ghost story in line with the oral tradition of telling supernatural tales at Christmas. So I have no idea about this oral tradition and, and why the English told supernatural stories at Christmas, but uh, as we, again, as we mentioned last week, Charles Dickens... Um, um, <laughs> Again, I'm just going to say Scrooged. Um, Christmas Carol. <laughs> uh, that, that, I, that's probably to do with, with this, this oral tradition of, of, for some reason, telling supernatural tales at Christmas. Mm. Um, over the past years, Mark Gatiss has done several um, ghost stories for Christmas for the BBC. So if you go to the Wikipedia article, it will list all the, all the episodes. But this, this box set that I have here, as I said, it, it contains the, the originals from the 70s. Then there's one M.R. James adaptation from 1968, which I guess wasn't originally a ghost story, an official ghost story for Christmas, but was kind of a predecessor to that. So that one is on this disc. And then there's know, several readings, the um, Christopher Lee readings that we also mentioned last week. Uh, the, one of those is on here. So anyway, so we have this box set. And over the years, we watched a, a few of those and when Matthew Holmes mentioned that he had done this this audio drama, I looked it up, and then of course uh, realized, okay, there there is also a 
Ghost Story for Christmas BBC adaptation of that story, and you can also easily find the original story by M.R. James online um, to read for free, or you can find the the Christopher Lee reading of it, which was also a, a thing that they did for for television, having Christopher Lee read M.R. James stories. And not all of those stories are um, M.R. James adaptations. Um, in all, the, all of those BBC adaptations are based on M.R. James stories. But so with the ashtray, I thought, okay, if we can get easily, we easily can get the the Matthew Holness uh, audio drama. It costs just a few bucks <laughs> to, to download. We can find um, the the short story. We can find the BBC adaptation, the Christopher Lee reading, and I thought it would be a neat idea to um, have a look at all those, the original text and the the different adaptations, and do it as a as a Christmas episode. So I don't know, Dave, do you, what's your experience with the ghost stories for Christmas, or is this tradition in general in 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 England to tell supernatural stories for Christmas? Well, I I think you're right because my immediate feeling was that it probably stems back from a christmas carol um and that bit that being uh such a popular story to be retold over christmas to the point that every channel will show two or three different adaptations of the same story uh, over one christmas period um it it feels like it's it's something that it would make sense for them to look for other stories that they can put on during that time. And like I, I remember uh, very clearly when um, Christmas evening, uh, like we would have the grandparents that would stay over and so I would um, sleep downstairs so I'd have the TV that I could watch and there would always be like a late night horror movie on, uh, like a hammer horror on BBC Two, say half past 12, one o'clock in the morning. Um so it, it's not unusual for there to be um, some kind of supernatural or, or horror story available to be watched around the Christmas period. Um, I wasn't really too aware of the tradition of uh, like ghost stories at Christmas, like that specific series, uh, probably because the original run was started and finished before I was born. Um, and I'm kind of disappointed that even though I was more than old enough to be aware of it and had a TV in my own room by that point so that I could see it, I completely missed out on this series of Christopher Lee reading M.R. James stories. Uh, and I really like the way that that was set out. Um, I could tell from the credits that they were filmed and released around the year 2000. Uh, the BBC have got a very uh, fun habit of putting uh, the the year of production at the in the end credits of all of their programmes in Roman numerals, and it was uh, listed as uh, MM. So, you know, two thousand. I guess I know my numerals. Uh, <laughs> I learned the German numerals genuinely from reading the credits of BBC shows and figuring out where the I's and V's and X's and M's were and then working it all out from there. Thank you, schooling system. Don't need you anymore. Mine um, was the NFL with their Super Bowls. Oh, the NFL. <laughs> yes, yes. Those are the Pro- challenging ones. You'd, probably the most famous the I's, the V's, yeah, and at school, <laughs> and then a Super Bowl would come out, and you'd be like, what the fuck? There's like a million different characters. It was always a nice puzzle. I didn't give a shit about the game, but I yeah. had to figure out the Roman numeral. I, I still remember because it was around about 97 that I first started 
paying attention to these Roman numerals at the, at the back of TV shows, MCM XLVII will always be <laughs> the one that I remember off the top of my head. Uh, someone's going to write in next week and tell me that's actually 1984 that you've said I'm there, but never mind. Right now, as you're talking, yeah, probably <laughs> in my head. <laughs> um, but yeah, so. I, I I wasn't particularly aware of it when it was happening. Um, I feel like they're not doing a great job of advertising ghost stories that they might have uh, on a year-by-year basis. But again, that comes with the caveat of I watch less and less live TV these days, and the BBC only really advertises their shows on their own product. So if I'm not watching BBC, I'm not going to know what BBC has coming up. Um it's it's probably something I'm going to look out for a bit more in future um, whenever I get I, the Christmas TV guide, which is a tradition in this household. I think they might have a new one this year, maybe. I was looking earlier when Andy was mm-hmm. mentioning the sort of the history and Mark Gatiss and all that. And mm. uh, there's there's one on the Wikipedia page, at least, um, that he has uh, written. And the last one before it is December 2022. And this one says TBC. So yeah. I would imagine. Ooh. Okay. Based on an Arthur Conan Doyle story. Yeah. Oh, nice. Starring so. Kit Harrington. Oh, double nice. There you go. The the, the game broadcast. Of it will be broadcast in the UK on BBC Two in December 2023. That's what Wikipedia says. Right. I need to get myself a Radio Times so that I can. I <laughs> funnily enough, the Radio Times contains times for television. Don't ask me to explain. It just does. Is this on paper too? There's like yeah. 14 ways this is antiquated at this yeah, point. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's the only time of year that most of the population will even consider buying a television listings magazine. Um, yeah. The format is basically dead thanks to the digital age. But at Christmas time, there's something special about having a, a big multi-issue um, catalogue of television stations and you get your highlighter and you highlight what you want to watch. And <laughs> yeah, it's it's a thing. <laughs> yeah i'm down with that um i was gonna also mention here what did i have i had a tab open to mention something to add on and i don't remember why i had it open um well, well never mind talk about it anyway <laughs> uh well, well i was just gonna say i um this isn't what i had the tab open for but just to kind of jump in here i had the ultimate uh multimedia experience um the the Christmas Mr. James Ash Tree Hatchet Cut, I'll call it, um, <laughs> which was not intentional even a little bit, <laughs> but <clears throat> it ended up kind of being awesome um, because I, I, exp- I didn't experience any of these things one hundred percent on their own from beginning to end um, in Ooh. terms of the the story everything else. I earlier this week I started one night uh, I put my kid to bed he was asleep I started reading the short story. And was like, All right, I won't, I won't go right into having Christopher Lee read it to me, like I said last week. I'm gonna just try and read it by myself, and was pretty into it. Um, I, I got maybe halfway through, um, and then more than anything, just started getting sleepy, and so didn't finish it. Then, then, um, yeah, last night I started watching, um, or no, 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 two days ago I put on the Christopher uh, Lee thing listened to uh, the beginning part of it that I had already read. Then I watched the beginning of the TV <laughs> adaptation. Had, I don't know, I got probably 10, 15 minutes in um, and fell asleep because 
it is one of the most boring um, things we've ever covered on the show, at least that first <laughs> section, because mm. uh, it's a lot of just the beginning's a lot of just a dude riding around on a horse. Um, yeah. Anyway, it feels a lot longer. It's, than it's really badly edited as well, I have to say. Um, so I fell asleep, but then I woke up in the third act and saw that crazy shit that is in the end of the television adaptation. Um, I finished that. Then I opened up the Christopher Lee thing, listened to the second half of the story that I had not actually read, but I had him read it to me. Uh, and then last night as I was falling asleep in bed, I was listening to the wholeness adaptation, which I got halfway through and fell asleep. So I, I feel like I've got it unless there's some like crazy twists in the wholeness adaptation that you guys can tell me about that I don't know about, but um yeah i i really was into this i thought it was pretty awesome um mm. i i think i was expecting something a little bit more traditional like stylistically uh, it has a, it has a pretty badass line at the beginning where um she's being hanged and she says there will be visitors at the hall which is just great like a great ominous awesome line mm. um but then it becomes like a spider monster story <laughs> and it's this like crazy sort of uh, i guess ghost story yeah but um but there's some there's some straight up creature shit in this story which i was yeah not ready for at all uh and he's good with how he leads up to it i thought um they talk about seeing things kind of in the trees and and assuming that it's a cat or a squirrel or something but then also feeling like it has too many legs um so you know that these are not you know little spiders but something much more yeah anyway um but i was yeah i was into it i thought it was great i i liked james writing style quite a bit um the some of the struggles that i have with poe uh we talked about a few weeks or however many weeks ago that was on mm. on usher um i i don't have i don't struggle with with james's writing there's there's times where it maybe gets into some exposition or, or some history or whatever where it can get a little bit more dry but um all in all, I, I was I was pretty hooked, and I, that was exciting because I bought the um, this hardcover book of all of his ghost stories collected, having not read any of them. So that was cool, and just knowing, okay, there's a bunch in here I get to read. And um, Christopher Lee, I mean, what are we going to say about this dude that a million people haven't already said a million times? Um, it, it's like Bruce Greenwood level performance for me, reading, bringing this this text to life in a way that um, you know doesn't feel that way necessarily when you just have it on the page, but having him perform it and deliver it. I also, uh, because I watched all of this stuff chopped up. Um, I, is he playing a character in these readings? He's <laughs> like, playing MR James. Oh, he's playing James. Okay. Okay, mm. cool. I didn't realize that. So, cause again, I didn't really watch it beginning to end. So when I woke up and, or when I started the second half of it, that's when I first looked at the screen and was like, Oh, there's like a bunch of, like dudes in here he's telling the story too <laughs> <laughs> so i was i did not know what that was about but um cool okay i'll, I'll go back and rewatch it then I, the, another one auto played on youtube uh and i just let it i was cleaning the house and i just let it go because I, mm. I just wanted to keep listening to it so i'm sure i'll i'll go back and and rewatch that and then the um what i heard of the wholeness thing was great definitely going to finish it um i was listening to it with headphones and it was uh yeah, it was pulling me in. Like the the sound design and, and the, just the atmosphere that they were building, um, I thought was pretty pretty great. So I'm excited to finish that too. So yeah, I got a weird um, chopped up version of everything, but um, good lord, what a crazy story! I I was I was expecting some like 
You know, you did some bad shit, and, and I'm a ghost, and I'm mad now, and I'm here. Like, that's how my ghosts, my ghosts are. They talk that way. Um, and that would kind of be the morality tale. Um, not spiders who cry like babies in the 70s um, adaptation. So, <laughs> it's cool. I was into it. What did, what did you think, Andy, overall of, of everything? We can kind of roll around since we've done um, roll around. We can kind of jump around from person to person. So, I um, originally thought I would consume these stories in order of publication or production. So the original stories from 1904, the BBC TV adaptations from 1975, and then the Holness audio dramas from 2019. Um, but it was just easier for me to listen to the audio drama while I was on, on my way from work home. So I, that's the first version that I ingested. Then I listened to the Christopher Lee reading of the original story and then today I watched the BBC adaptation and I was very happy to realize that all three versions are very different from each other and each version gives the story its its own spin makes it contemporary in, in some way so it's not just okay we're talking about the same story three times mm -hmm. <laughs> where, to a point where it becomes reductive in a way um, but so yeah the, the original story um, very straightforward um, you, you mentioned Poe 1904 as I said um, it's when the, when the story was originally published so very from our perspective antiquated mm -hmm. kind of writing style um, it's just very the, more like a a retelling of a history. Yeah. We have Sir Matthew and, the, and those witch trials, and <clears throat> um, they hang Mistress um, Mother Soul, and then he is found dead in his bed, and then the son, Matthew II, he never sleeps in that room, so he's fine, but then his son, Sir Richard, he takes the same room as his grandfather, and then he dies as well, and they they find the body in the tree and and, and, and spiders and, and stuff. And then the the TV adaptation has this neat technique of of weaving the the past into the the, the present of the story. So beginning with Richard, um, the I guess in that story he's the nephew, nephew of a nephew or something like that. Yeah. Um, but still, there's there's the the ancestor, and at some point he, he he's kind of, he's almost like possessed or inhabited by the spirit of the ancestor, <laughs> which I found very interesting for because David, you mentioned it, it again very dry that episode. It's mm -hmm. it's 70s British TV, uh, right. but then it gets it's crazy in a way. So there's this <laughs> yeah. this, this how they intercut the the original events um, with Mister's Mother Soul and and Matthew the <laughs> First, uh, and 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 how the past affects the the present of that story, and then and then those crazy baby head spiders, which I did not <laughs> expect at all. <laughs> I mean that that is that is some crazy shit for this is this is oh, prime yeah. time public television in the 70s in, in, in the UK. So, um, yeah, very, very interesting. And 
the Holmes audio drama again brings it to the present where we have this couple uh, and her ancestors basically are the or other or their her ancestors ancestors history is basically the original Aaron James story and now we are several hundred years removed from from those um, historic events and um, she goes through more or less the, the story of uh, of Sir Richard from the from the original story and it also adds this element of her um, having lost uh, or, or having miscarried which is a thing that we I think we we, we, we need to talk about uh, that this is a weird element a whole element of, of miscarriage and babies and uh, something that I did not quite get from the original story but then there's elements of it in the 1975 adaptation and even clearer so in the whole notes adaptation from production standpoint great audio drama fantastic speakers um, mm -hmm. great soundtrack um, so very much on point and so yeah I, I think um, all the versions are worth um, consuming on their own, but yeah. consuming all of three, all three of them together within just a few days, I think really was a was a great experience, and and each one adds something to it to to make it unique, and, and it's a it's a great mix. Dave, how how did you interact with these? Uh, yeah, it was a little bit of a mixed bag in the same way that both of you guys have intimated in that the 70s TV adaptation was kind of a pile of ass. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I say kind of because it did have some really effective stuff. Like I thought that the sound design in the episode was really good. Um, I suppose for the era, the special effects weren't too bad. And by special effects, I literally just mean the way that they had like a, a still shot of um, the, the the ancestral home from distance and they'd very clearly just kind of added a tree. Um, <laughs> kind of like, uh, I, I forget what, the t is it a plate? Uh, yeah, it's like a plate, isn't it? Like you, you would paint something onto a plate and then put it in front of the camera and then right. it, it's the same thing that they did with Star Trek for years and years and years going all the way through into like the 90s and 2000s. Um, but it just kind of wobbled ever so slightly from the from the actual image, and you were like, "Okay, so that's not actually there. Fine, whatever. I'm being very picky here." But the editing was just really, really poor. Like really brutal cuts between scenes with absolutely no transition, no thought of. I mean, I, I literally just said about how the audio design was really good. Um, you wouldn't know that from the editing because they would just cut and there would be no fade, there would be no nothing. It would just be like, you know, one scene would be set outside and you hear the birds chirping and then it would just cut to an interior shot, dead silence. And I don't think that it was done for an unsettling effect. I just think it's really poor editing, personally. Um, and obviously, you know, I, I make my living editing videos, so <laughs> I know... Um, I'm joking, everybody. I haven't got a fucking clue. I, well, before before we move away from this, because I I there was one um, uh, cut that I enjoyed, but I thought it was uh, what's the word? I thought it was 
ahead of its time is maybe a little bit too grand okay. to say. But the very last shot of the of the of the adaptation, it has her um, reaching down, touching his his hand that's dead, and then kind of like recoiling back and gasping. <laughs> yeah, and then it and then the credits hit. I don't know if that was how YouTube put it up. I don't think so. It seemed like the original um, broadcast or whatever. But it was such a more modern sort of of smash cut like to to an ending that you see in horror stuff a lot now Mm. um i thought it was interesting it made me wonder like was that a an intentional sort of like let's give them one last thing was it just an odd cut um i would Uh, imagine your guess is that it was an odd cut i I think (laughs) yeah i mean i i would put that down as an unintentional plus um like i i think it's poor editing but knowing what we know now about editing techniques and how they've developed in the future it almost looks avant-garde because of the fact that it it mirrors something which later was used to great effect because for me that scene actually just felt just really I don't know, like the edit, I think the, the director could have taken one more stab at it. The way that she kind of reaches in slow, 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 and then just almost, she's like a cat playing with like a, a mouse that she's not sure if it's dead <laughs> yeah. or not. She just kind of taps it. I rewound it. it. I watched it. I watched that cut like two or three times because it mm. was so, in- I don't know, I found it interesting, especially. No, look, I'm, I'm not taking away from that at all. It's a little epilogue too because yeah. the story's basically done. Yeah, yeah, no, I'm not taking away from that at all. I think that how we interact with these is going to be different depending on our uh, history and knowledge sure. of editing technique and, and and videos and stuff. And in this instance, what I'm trying to say is that you probably have a better understanding of that stuff than I do. So just, oh, into, I don't, I don't just think so that's the case. Just so people but... don't think that I'm throwing shade here. Um, no, no, no. <laughs> but yeah, it just it felt like very amateurish a lot of the editing, and I, I suppose that informed my interaction with later parts of the episode where perhaps it was edited better. Like again, like. I, I could give it the credit for almost like a smash cut ending, uh, ending, but because it was so poorly done up to that point, I just ended up feeling like it was just all a bit slapdash. Like, oh, we got to get this one out for Christmas. Let's just throw this together. It'll be fine. It, it's common. It's lowest common denominator horror stuff. Nobody's going to give a fuck. Just, just get the uh, get get the footage put together and get it out. You know, um, I I support that theory if um, it also then supports the filmmakers being like. They are not paying attention. Get those fucking baby spiders in here right now. We're going to put these in here. Yeah, let's talk <laughs> about those baby spiders for a second. Because I know I'm. Was... Fo- <laughs> no, no, no. Go ahead. <laughs> I know I'm focusing a lot on the TV adaptation, but I will get to the other two as well. But I have a lot of better things to say about those. Um, the baby spiders are the best part of this, hands down. Um, the design of them is creepy as fuck. The way that they're filmed, kind of half in shadow, very reminiscent of. Um, you know the original Alien, where they kind of hid a lot of the deficiencies of the actual filming Dude, uh, so costume. It's Christmas. <laughs> I'm not, I will never back down from this position. <laughs> uh, <laughs> stupid looking rubber monster. Fuck. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> anyway, um, no. Alien is a fantastic film. Like a like it, it, it's genius level, right? And the special effects are great, and the use of uh, shadow to obscure different parts of the monster and to let your imagination do the work is why it's as effective as it is and i think that they do the same trick with the spider babies in this um i think if you were to sit one of those spider baby models in the middle of a room in broad daylight it would look like something off of blue peter like 
Here's how to make a baby monster. All you're going to need for this make is a can of spray paint, some pipe cleaners, and a creepy-looking fucking doll's head. Um, and that's literally I, the, it. I think the vibe that, that hit me so hard with it that I that I really made me sort of like sit up and, and be so taken aback by it is that it has the same... I, I thought of uh, Don't Be Afraid of the Dark, the the right. original, um, mm-hmm. not the, the remake that we've talked about, but the original TV film, where... Again, TV film, um, set, I think 70s, 70s or 80s, um, special effects that are obviously, I think in that was stop motion maybe. I'm trying to remember now. I'm bringing up a point and comparing them poorly. But both of them have this thing where when you watch it now, you're just like, this absolutely fucked some kids up. Sure, <laughs> Like yeah. this is something that mm. never <laughs> would have normally made it on because it's not gory, it's not violent, it's not no. you know sexual. No. There's there's no there's no th- there's nothing there that like would would be traditionally cut by any kind of TV you know boards or censors or whatever else mm. standards and practices so is whatever it is. <laughs> right, yeah, that was crazy too. Both that it was on TV in the seventies in Britain, I was like, "Holy shit, Oops. I forgot!" Uh, and then also that I was like, "YouTube." Uh, at this point, I wonder how many, how much nudity is on YouTube that they don't even know about because it's buried in old stuff like this. Anyway, um, but there there is this sort of like weird feeling of like this shouldn't be this scary. <laughs> like mm. we we went too hard on on this aspect of it. Uh, yeah. People talk about. Um, Return to Oz, uh, a lot that old uh, Wizard of Oz sequel again. I think eighties maybe that Disney put out, and how it's just this nightmare movie for kids. Like it unintentionally, you know the the vibe that they're going for just didn't hit exactly right, or it did, and it was just um, maybe not the most appropriate thing. But the way this comes out swinging with these creatures, it's just uh, I can't imagine that there weren't. Uh, tons of kids watching that and it, when it aired <laughs> that night <laughs> going to bed <laughs> fucking terrified <laughs> especially with trees outside their windows yes. yeah for sure <laughs> they're not like i want i want to make sure listeners understand these aren't like spy this isn't arachnophobia where it's just like a bunch of spiders like these are monsters <laughs> like yeah. they're we say baby spiders not because they're little spiders they are i don't know they're probably the size of like a I don't know why I'm using all these American references. A baseball glove, like a uh, like it, it's it's you know fairly big. They're the large, baby part, yeah. yeah. The baby part comes in more in the '70s show because they, like Dave mentioned, have these baby head looking things, and then they also just cry like babies. Like that's yeah. they don't which alter really it too much, which makes it more creepy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. And, <laughs> and like Alex Pardee creations, they do. Yeah, that's a great that's a great comparison. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's. It goes, it, yeah. I, I know I keep reiterating the same thing, but it just comes out swinging at a level that you're just yeah. like, "Holy shit!" It, it's what? also very interesting. What is this? It's very interesting <laughs> as well because that idea of babies and motherhood, which runs through this TV adaptation, is also reflected in the Baffle Gab uh, audio drama um, in different ways, but still. Um, like one other thing I'll say about the, this uh, show, um, in, to its credit, and, and then I'll kind of move on to my thoughts on the other two more briefly, so that we can just have a more general discussion. Um, I thought that the reveal of uh, Mother Soul is it Mother Soul or Mother Soap? I can't remember. Soul. Soul. Thank you. Really. Um, so it's uh, so uh, Miss Mother Soul's uh, dead body in the bottom of the tree. The way that she's positioned, almost like mm-hmm. she's in like a birthing position. Yeah, Her absolutely. stomach is missing, 
and like the in the inference is that somehow her undead body managed to get itself to the bottom of the tree and then she birthed all of these spiders that would take their revenge it's just really unsettling and and like the the model itself as uh, as much as i said that the baby spiders or the spider babies looked like blue peter creations like or could look like them like this was broad daylight this thing looked fucking horrific like it yeah. had like really dried skin stretched over gnarly. bone it looked gnarly as hell yeah i really liked that I, I thought they did a great job with that it's just a real shame that the the editing more than anything else really lets this adaptation down i think it lingers too long in some places it doesn't go quickly enough um you know where, where it should and and sometimes it goes too quickly when it doesn't need to go so quickly um is is the line uh there will be visitors at the hall is that in the 70s one it's not no it's not surprisingly okay, enough I didn't think that it was, uh, but I also fell asleep in the middle. So yeah, like, it's a shame it. that it seems it takes the basic idea of the story, but what it yeah. doesn't do is take any of the original text. I, mean, I think there might be one or two references to Bible passages, but even then, they're not doing the drawing thing. Um, right. Like it, yeah, it's just it takes the general idea, but I think it it tries to be as original as. No, I'll tell you what this is. It's just popped into my head. So I watched the H-Bomber guy video um, that everyone's seen in the last couple of weeks about That's plagiarism. That's I've been watching this week Yeah, I've been working. This is videos. So I've, I've no been... I've been talking about. Oh, okay. So <laughs> there, were, there was this three-hour video essay that came out recently from a guy called Four H-Bomber hour. guy. Four hours, sorry, on YouTube, where he basically talked about how there's a problem on YouTube with people that are plagiarizing other people's work just by taking large passages of, of, of uh, work words and substituting the odd word here or there replacing some phrasings and things like that um and he ended up he does, go, go on. that's what just to tell andy he does that's what his main thing is his video essay so he has a youtube channel and um he's done lots of stuff over the years but here mm-hmm. at least more recently uh, the stuff that's really hit this one um, blew up this one blew up i mean he's got millions of views on his other videos too but the the last one he did was about um, before this one was about the, a sound effect from the Roblox game, and then the more he kind of dug into it, the more he found all of this crazy stuff and and people lying <laughs> and 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 theft and um, so yeah, he does these they're they're fantastic video essay videos, really well edited and and I think this, he's this plagiarism on YouTube actually showed up in my feed, but I did not pay yeah, any attention probably, because yeah. I hadn't heard anything about it. It blew yeah. up so much that they the algorithm just put it on everybody's feed just to see if yeah, they would yeah. buy it. And, and honestly, like if you have the time, it's definitely worth looking into because I was not familiar with any of the cases. He hadn't released a video in a year. Oh, yeah. he takes his time. He takes yeah. his time. Oh, you, you, crazy. Yeah, but you, this is the thing. This is a guy that puts one video out in a year and he yeah. absolutely eviscerates and takes down people that put out comment uh, content like a, a couple of times a week that are of similar lengths, and you can absolutely tell who it is that's putting the effort in and who isn't. Um, but the anyway, thing I like about oh, sorry, no, no you, you go ahead because I'm going to move away from it. So if you say what you want to say first, I was just going to say the thing I like about him the most probably is that his stuff isn't. It doesn't seem like a gotcha kind of. Um, approach like his hmm. he he does condemn and break down and go into plagiarism and on all the ways that they're doing all this stuff but ultimately his thing is like there are all of these fantastic writers and people that are making this content that you're hearing through other people not realizing that the yeah. writing that you love 
and that you could go seek out is attributed to these other people because they have way less of a following. So the people that have the big following just regurgitate their shit. No one notices because, you know, until H-Bomber guy does, that it's from a smaller thing. And his whole thing is like, we're cutting out the actual, I mean, obviously it's a different way of describing plagiarism, but it's not just like a list of him going, and here's the thing, and here's the thing. It's also him being like, here's how they did this. And then this person, here's where you can find their work. Like, hmm. it's a, it, it's an interesting modern sort of also look at, like, how we how history is built online and how so much of it is just wrong right from the jump because it's a tweet that somebody put on TikTok that they stole from Instagram that another person posted and then it got 20 million views. But meanwhile, the actual person who did the work or whatever else is six people behind that. Um, person anyway hmm. uh very very interesting so i realized i even have one of his older videos on my watch list <laughs> the value of director's cuts there yeah. you go okay. there you go he, he, he doesn't limit himself to any one subject i was watching uh, a video from him a little while ago about why fallout 3 is absolutely terrible <laughs> and i love fallout 3 but i watched it and i was like do you know what i can't argue with anything of what he's saying here and that's the mark of someone that actually is putting thought into what they're saying you yeah. even if you disagree you kind of have to respect what they're saying because it's born out of actual thought and research and personal uh, opinion and yeah. you know that's kind of like my best video essay stuff at the moment is is that sort of stuff but anyway the reason i bring him up is because the uh, 70s TV adaptation of The Ash Tree kind of feels like an example, even though it's not plagiarism because it is literally an adaptation and the credit is out there and they're saying it's by, on the story by M.R. James. But it's like if you were trying to write your own story but trying to get away with not giving uh, attribution to the original author, this is how you would do it because it's basically got none of the constituent text from the original it's it's got none of the drawing okay it's got an ash tree with spiders in it but it's like it, it feels almost like they're trying it's reshuffled to, it's reshuffling but it's it's almost like we want to get rid of all of this stuff that we think is worthless and actually right. what you've done, adapting the shining right <laughs> kind of actually yeah, yeah. Um, because you know the director is is looking at it and, and they're saying basically right okay all of this bible rubbish let's get rid of that because it's got no point no need and actually when you're familiar with the story you realize that the bible verses that are drawn are really important because if they listened to them at the beginning none of this shit would have happened um so you know it's it's a huge part that they've just eschewed because they're like well we haven't got time for this let's let's get rid of this so we can do this instead and it's it just feels kind of lightweight as a result um that cannot be said of the other two adaptations i'm sorry i've gone on longer about one of the three than you two did with <laughs> all of your thoughts combined i really do apologize um the christopher uh, it's christopher lee reading mr james come on like <laughs> You, you can't really go wrong with that. Um, I, I love the setting. I love the the way that the series as a whole seems to um, kind of... It, it doesn't seem to. It brings you into this world of early 1900s Cambridge University professor reading stories to a group of like-minded students. They're all having a, a mulled wine at the end of the evening. You know, they're extinguishing the candles. Like, even before he starts reading, the atmosphere is set. And I, I think it's a really cool um, play on the, like, Midnight Club slash Are You Afraid of the Dark slash Goosebumps kind of formula of TV where we've got the same people gathering to tell a story every week 
and it's a different story, but it's it's the same people. And it's Christopher fucking Lee. Like, <laughs> this guy could read, and, and, and this is something that's been said about many people, and it's true of all of them, mostly. He could read the phone book, and I would be happy to listen. Like, the the gravelly voice of this guy, and the way that he knows exactly where to put the inflections and the stresses in, in what he's reading. It ju- And it feels natural. It feels like you are sitting in on yeah. M.R. James, reading his story or reciting his story to a bunch of students for the first time. It's just glorious. That was one of my favorite my favorite parts of his delivery is that, and it make, it's even more interesting now that I know that it, he's playing James, is that he's he's performing, but he's not performing, capital mm. P. Um, and and there, there are deliveries and line readings and everything else where he might say it like a little sardonically or he might be, you know, a little bit uh, more sort of like eyebrows raised at it and, and kind of glance around at the people that he's, he's mm. reading to like the, that aspect of it, the pa- the part, the fact that he's reading it to other people ends up being a pretty big part of the entire like vibe like Mm. it it, that pulls you in and then also the i like how they uh occasionally will show images or shots that could be kind of coming from the story but they're always very simple so it's like you know like the the bible thing um zeroing in on those those verses or whatever else to where you're given something to look at but at the same time it's not then adapting it you're not pulled into a different um sort it's still you know you might you're getting like little flashes of what your mind's eye might be giving you yeah, um, as yeah. as he's reading it, which it, I think it's is just great. like a, a little. It's not an aid memoir, but if there was a French term for aid of the imagination, then that would be yeah. what it would be. Uh, <laughs> aid imaginaire, uh, imaginaire. I don't know. Whatever. I've just put on a French accent and hope that it's the same word. Um, yeah, that's fine. But uh, yeah, so it's. I, I like that as well. I think that that added to it. But I, I think there's a lot of value in the way that they set it. That it felt like I was sitting there with them. And having the story told to me, yeah. you know, and, and uh, it didn't need to be overly complex. It's got everything that it needs. It is basically I, just the text of the story. This I, I'm going to stop going off on tangents, but that's no, something no. that I, 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 I feel like I, I zero in on more and more as I get older with art is just like the artists who are able to do something with so little, like the simplicity of just that, that idea now, I would imagine for... 99% maybe 100% of like streaming services and stuff having a dude read other people in a room stories like is mm-hmm. a, I would imagine a non-starter <laughs> like instantly like no one's going to be interested in that and it's on one crazy. aspect and like on one hand I agree I, I understand I don't agree I understand because it's yeah it's not very cinematic it's not visual um, etc whatever I, I can understand maybe some of the hesitation at first on that part but when you get down and you're you're watching this you're listening to it you're experiencing it it is pretty crazy how it, it is diluting the pure ultimately at the end of the day it's diluting the like the pure um, idea of just storytelling into mm. its most direct form capturing that on video with some some other stuff but ultimately this is the experience that you're having that you're you're imagining what's going on is the oldest form of story it's oral tradition right it's 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 having that um that experience of being told a story literally as opposed to it being you know a a twist on it or whatever else i don't know i thought about that a lot to where it was like it's it's so interesting how this is so effective it works so well 
And um, obviously, if you're going into it, you're like, oh, ghost stories. I want to see these spiders they keep talking about. Like, no, it's not going to be like that. It's a different thing. But if you can click into it, if you can pay attention, if you can listen, and it's not hard to with, with him reading it, um, it is so effective. I thought, like, I, I, I don't know. It sounds like you guys had similar experiences, but, like, it it just really works and to a level that it's like, man, it's I understand why we don't have more shows like this, but yeah. I also wish that we did because uh, similar thing with with Greenwood and Usher, where it's just like ultimately I'm just listening slash watching to a dude read this stuff, mm. but I'm I'm sucked in, I'm pulled in, and and the fact that they can do that with so little, um, I was telling Austin the other day, like I I pretty much just accepted at this point, especially in prose, uh, I'm on my sixth adrian tchaikovsky book at this point at the end of a second trilogy of his and i love his work and i was taught austin's reading the same book right now and we were talking about it and i was just saying that at this point i've kind of just a rule for me is if it looks effortless it was anything but that <laughs> like the, the 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 ability to make things look so easy and the storytelling and and for character arcs and for plot points and for stuff to just fit and feel all natural and and have this this experience that just is like oh I, I can't believe no one thought about this or whatever else well it's because no one else was as good as this person is at telling this particular story because that's not an easy thing to do and so yeah and I, I again it's a big tangent but just diluting all of that down and you've just got a guy reading a story to people in a room but also to you um and it's fantastic i thought it was uh and and it came out when in the 80s we said 70s 80s and uh, or was this newer this was 2000 2000 2000 um so still i mean 24 years old now um mm -hmm. still kicks it's a, ass it's, I a, thought. it's a skill <laughs> and a craft to yeah. to read engagingly i don't know if you guys watch the the, the big fat quiz of the year but they every now and then they have this segment where charles dance reads from like from some b-list celebrities autobiography <laughs> so it's always a very silly text but it's charles dan's reading it so it's always engaging <laughs> it makes me think of uh did you ever read did you ever watch that one i think college humor put it out where michael shannon is reading that post from a sorority a college oh. sorority <laughs> it's it is fantastic it is a dramatic reading of a college a girl who wrote the sorority post pissed at all of the other pledges and girls in the sorority but just with the gravitas and depth of michael shannon <laughs> highly recommend it well what annoys me is the fact that um if you're apparently like a toddler and uh you watch the bbc you are catered for in this respect because uh for the last few years they've done like a um a, a bedtime story with like a big celeb so it's like tom hardy did it one year and strangely the uh, the demographics of who was watching it skewed hugely towards women of a certain age. Uh, I'm not entirely sure why, because it was aimed at kids. But there you are. Um, <laughs> but it's it's literally just let's get a a celebrity to sit down and read a story, and it is literally the camera is just trained on that person, and it's it's kind of a riff on an old show that we've had for a long time called Jack and Ori. Um, which was basically the same sort of thing where someone would read a story, although a lot of the time they would have people acting out certain parts of it. But it was still essentially just storytelling. It was a narrator and an audience, yeah. and that was it. And I, I think that there is something like, uh, as you were talking about the, the idea of just you know somebody sitting and telling a story and an audience sitting there and just watching and listening, I thought to myself, like, w would I would I genuinely... If there was like a um, 
a film version of like a, a book that I really enjoyed, and it was literally just like uh, a Christopher Lee level orator sitting in an armchair with a fire next to him and you know a glass of brandy and it was literally just him reading the story to me would i go to the cinema and pay for a ticket for that and i come back with the answer absolutely yes i oh, will i would yeah <laughs> i will yeah like give me morgan freeman reading the gunslinger or you know michael shannon reading fucking anything frankly uh, you know greenwood the same deal i mean it's it's obviously not exactly the same as as going to a live reading but i mean it's it's similar in that um you you have that communal experience with everyone else you're all still experiencing the story mm, mm. And, and and you, it does change it yeah and and we have examples of things that are shown live in cinemas like uh, opera and uh, yeah. things like that like there was the whole frankenstein thing that went on an extended run um and it had the two actors that swapped roles every night and yeah they showed that live in Odeon's up and down the country like you could i mean it would be a hell of an ask for whoever it was that was reading the story because like you'd have to make sure that it was a book that was going to run a certain amount of time but <laughs> you, you could do that shit live if you really wanted that live feeling but honestly like i think pre-recorded would work just as well but anyway getting off the topic and i'm just wait talking wait more wait, wait i have one more my, my my favorite call out for live reading performance andy kaufman reading the great gatsby to a uh, room of college students are you guys aware of this i am not uh, aware of sure. this <laughs> <I'm Yeah>. <laughs> uh andy kaufman you you know who he is right yeah, oh I'm yeah assuming. yeah yeah, yeah. on the moon all that um yeah, it, it, some of his anti-comedy uh, was he would go to college campuses and they, everybody would be pumped because it's like, oh, it's the dude from Taxi and he's going to make all the 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 references and the voice and all that. <laughs> and then he would sit down and start reading The Great Gatsby <laughs> unabridged and would just read the whole book. <laughs> and by the I think it's in the movie, in the Jim Carrey movie, by the end of it, you know, there's like three people. <laughs> like everybody just leaves because they're like, oh, there's no joke here. <laughs> uh, but that's the joke. I always thought that was great. Oh dear! I like Danny Kaufman. What a um, still alive? I uh, did you say still alive? Still yeah, alive? Of course. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I uh, I don't I don't know that I have any other big thoughts on this other than to say I kind of think we should do one of these every year now uh, for Christmas. Do a have we done this in the past on an episode I haven't been on or that I don't remember? Like one of these Christmas stories because this was a ton of fun. Um, we haven't yet. Um, I, I, as I said, I, I watched several of the, um, of the early, um, BBC adaptation because I have this box set, and I, I think I mentioned those in the past, but we've never done an episode. Okay. Mm. Yeah, it was great. It, it was, uh, it was awesome. I have a couple other books here at the house. Um, Valancourt, who puts out uh, a lot of uh, horror stuff, and they, they put out the paperbacks from hell. Um, reprints and stuff after that hit um they have done a, a few different anthologies just called the valancourt book of christmas ghost stories uh and i bought one of those one year and then um andy you showed me not too long ago uh these little um books designed yeah, these by seth, seth designed yeah books yeah mm -hmm. and i have one of those too so i'm i'm excited to read that this year and yeah just such a cool just such a cool idea and a cool tradition that it's uh, I don't I don't know why it still feels like part of Christmas <laughs> because it really has nothing to do with it um, other than the Scrooge thing. And we've talked about that, obviously, but um, I mean, yeah. Scrooge at least has Christmas in the story. 
Sure, right. That's true. The ad street obviously <laughs> does not. So none of these, I think, maybe some, but it is not important for these stories to have right. Christmas in the story to be a Christmas story <laughs> or a ghost story that's, for Christmas. That's why I just absolutely love the image of the kids going to bed saying goodnight and then the parents out in the living room being like we fucked up letting them watch that <laughs> like, <laughs> back in the 70s like i think that's why it's it's so great it's just it goes so hard that uh the spider babies um i don't know I'm, I'm it feels like i'm trying to wrap it up i'm not necessarily trying to do you guys have any other big thoughts on it i mean i i would like to very briefly give my thoughts on the baffle gab adaptation Oh, shit. Um, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> and I will make this super, super quick. Um, really well produced. I like the way that they brought it into the modern day. I thought it gave it something different that the other two didn't. Um, the, uh, the, the the cast are amazing. Like Amanda Abington, mm-hmm. you probably know from Sherlock. Uh, Reese Shearsmith, uh, League of Gentlemen. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, he's been in uh, quite a few things that you would know him from. I think he was in a field in England, actually, as well. Um, I think and, I know him from. Wasn't he in, on Inside Number Nine? Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. The whole yeah, crew I, at I some point have have been involved um, with, with that one. Um, he might even have been in Sherlock as well. Actually, thinking about it, and then John Sessions um, is just wonderful um, as voice. the local historian. Like the thing is, he doesn't sound like that from what I remember. Like John Sessions has got a very very flexible um, v- vocal range and. Yeah, he's he's brilliant. I what I wasn't so sure about was um it felt like he got needlessly adversarial at one point and and not at the point that um that Rachel uh thought he was being adversarial. I I thought when he was invited to the party and he started saying some really obnoxious stuff, he didn't need to go that far. Like I I saw the the value in her being made to be slightly unreasonable because maybe the uh the strain of of the um the the sickness w- was maybe pushing its way into her mind maybe there was something going on with her where she was mentally being uh, attacked by this uh supernatural uh force but i i didn't necessarily see why um sessions character should be as much of an asshole as he was um but yeah, I, I thought all of the changes that they made were actually worthwhile, like changing the uh, discovery of the uh, empty grave from being in the unhallowed area of the churchyard to instead being because they were breaking ground on a, a workshop um, in the actual grounds and changing the story from it being just like a witch hunt to being uh, an unofficial lynching. Um, just gave it that extra little bit of interest um, and and difference to the original. Uh, I was at one point I wondered if they were completely gender swapping uh, Mother Soul and Rachel around, if Mother Soul was going to be a male character that was wronged, but then they ended up going down the uh, the route of, of saying that it was uh, a made up story to stop her from digging up an old witch. Because <laughs> apparently in the 2000s and 2020s, villages in East Anglia, which I'm not too far from, uh, are still superstitious enough to believe that that's the case. Um, although they were proven to be true, so I don't know, maybe they were right. But yeah, I, I enjoyed this one. Um, probably not as much as Christopher Lee reading to me, but it was right up near to it. 
and uh, it's also got me very interested in Baffle Gab's other works. I, I saw that they have the Hellbound Heart on there, um, which I did actually uh, listen to the free sample of, and it seems pretty decent. It's got um, Daisy Low uh, as one of the main characters in that one. Um, so yeah, it looks like they've they're, they're not afraid to spend the money to get really good actors in to do their bits. Uh, and the production sounds like it's uh, of a very high quality. So I'm always on the lookout for good audio dramas, and uh, this seems to be another source for them. So, yeah, we'll see. Cool. Yeah, I, I thought the same. Um, and I ended up, uh, last night when I went to um, download the link um, that was sent, that Andy sent to us, it said, oh, hey, the link expired. Put your email in. And I was like, okay. So I put in Andy's email, and it was like, all right, cool. We sent you a, a, a new link. And it was like <laughs> it was like 10 o'clock at night. I'm like, shit. Uh, so, uh, yeah, I went and bought it and to listen to and was so happy that I did because I, I then saw all of the uh, other stuff on their band camp and, and mm. the links to their packages and, and stuff. And, yeah, I'm, I'm the same way. We you talked get- a lot about uh, um Tells from the on the beyond the pale and mm. all those in the past too. You, you can get the entire catalogue of Baffle Gab uh, content for just over seventy pounds at the moment, which yeah. seems like a really really good bargain. So uh, definitely, if people are looking stuff. for good audio drama, uh, then Baffle Gab might be the place to go. Definitely worth checking them out. You can sample everything for free and uh, make your choices based on that. Cool. We are not sponsored by Baffle Gab. No, we're not. Or Jurassic <laughs> Park or any other stuff we've <laughs> we've praised this week. Um, man, I'm trying to remember what it was. I had a oh, I had last night. I was I was coming up with this like big okay. Let's I'm gonna do double feature picks for every single version of this, and I I had them all figured out. And then that was right when I was like, we don't do double feature picks for anything <laughs> where we have more than one. I was like, what am I doing? <laughs> so if you have some, if you've got them, I'm trying to remember. Not? I know, I know the one that I was most excited about was um, if if you've watched the '70s uh, and, and British TV, television and want um, probably what is arguably the best American '70s '80s television horror uh, that could be offered. We did an episode on Dark Knight of the Scarecrow, which I was a big fan of, um, and uh, that was one that came to mind because it, it does have a different. The moment you have TV in there, it. it it, especially back then. I mean, we're in the golden age of television now, as Andy says quite a bit, um, all the time, consistently for years has said this. And we the, back then, obviously, it was it was quite a bit different in terms of the format and everything else. So there is a weird, um, yeah, sort of different effect. That, I don't really know how to explain it. it it's not just it's not just um, money. Um, but there there is a, a, a total totally different feel. And then when it's smashed up with other stuff that tonally is uh just so crazy yeah makes something special so dark knight of the scarecrow was my 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 pick for that weird spider uh monster episode um we good we done happy christmas i think so apologies for talking so much apparently i felt the need to make up for last week <laughs> nah man it's, it's what we do it's a podcast <laughs> um yeah, I think we're done. Uh, I'm, I'm, I have I have no momentum or professionalism in closing this episode out. <laughs> That's the your lack end. of coffee showing through, David. It, it is. The coffee <laughs> got delivered actually a little bit ago. So <laughs> we just um, want to thank everyone for listening, for sticking with us. We had a big break this year yeah. where we didn't record for two or three months and didn't release an episode. Um, it's been 
it's been a rough year um, points for for each of us i think yeah and um as we expressed um privately to each other um, it's been a big highlight for us to come back together the three of us recording again in in this group and and having this disappointment each week that we can look forward to and and just have have a ton of fun doing this and we'll be back next year well said couldn't say it better myself although i did like that over the audio it could have sounded like you said we have disappointment each week um instead of this appointment yeah. <laughs> sometimes yes, it's a disappointment <laughs> uh no yeah absolutely that that was a, a sentiment we shared off air a couple weeks ago and and it was totally true um just uh I'm so happy to be back recording with you guys and excited to jump in for another year of it and uh stay safe out there uh happy christmas merry christmas andy what do, what do you guys say in germany there you go i don't know i don't i I barely heard any of it but it sounded german um and uh stay safe out there keep watching horror movies and we will see you next year nice joke bye merry christmas you filthy animals (laughs) and a happy new year (laughs) i gotta get in the door This has been a production of FanOff.com. And that's perfect.